The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading for today is from John chapter 14, verses 18 to 31. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sherry, for reading that passage for us this morning. There's just so much in this text uh, to talk about and so much that I will not talk about uh, today because, you know, we have a limited amount of time. And I, that's one of the things I just, that, that I don't like as a, as a preacher is, is having to leave stuff um, on the cutting room floor. But it is the benefit of being a part of the church and being people who read our Bibles is we get to spend our lifetimes interacting with Scripture. And so forgive me for all the things I don't talk about in this morning's sermon um, because I really want to focus on a couple of things in particular that are in this text. And... Uh, And I want to open with a question and an observation about this passage. The first thing is the observation. And the observation is this, is this text, as you heard it read, is um, there's so much language in this passage about parent-child relationships. 
Jesus talking about his father and being one with his father. Jesus talking to his disciples as though he is a father to them and in saying that he will not leave them as orphans. And he talks about this relationship that they have with each other and he has with the father where there's this family that's undergirded with, 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 uh, with affection and intimacy and peace. And we're going to get into the fragility of the parent-child relationship this morning, in particular, um, the uh, father-child relationship. And so if you are somebody who has a complex relationship with either a child as a father or as a child with your father, um, we're, going, we're going there uh, today. The other, the other thing is the question that I want to ask that connects to that, and the question is, where in your life right now do you feel like you are just lacking peace? What is it for you? So allow yourself to go to that place where, where you, you honestly, in your mind, acknowledge where you lack peace and wish you had peace. So I have five children. Five children is a lot of children. Some of you have more than five children. Some of you are on your way to having more than five children, probably. Five children is a lot of children. Over the years, as my children were younger in particular, um, I have a job that occasionally requires me to do some traveling. And when, when I travel, um, what I will typically do is the night before I leave, as I'm tucking the kids in, I will tell them, hey, I'm going away for a little while. Um, and they almost always had, would have three questions that they would want to know. And the three questions were, where was I going? When would I be back? And what's the third question? Are you going to bring me anything? <laughs> Those are the three questions. Now, out of the mouths of children they ask these questions. There's a reason why, for any of us that have been in that position, you know what those three questions are. And it's because there's something going on in the hearts of children that distill the information down, the information that, hey, I'm not gonna be here in the morning, I'm going on a trip, that distills that down for a child to three really important things. And these are really important things because really when you get to the heart of those questions, they are covenantal. Um, they are deep. They come from a place deeper than just mere curiosity. Because what a child is asking in those three questions is they're asking, can we ratify who we are to each other before this thing happens? And what I mean by that is they're asking the question, what is it that is taking you away from me how long will you be away from me? And will you think about me while you're gone? Will I be on your mind? And those are beautiful questions to have somebody ask about you, aren't they? And they ask these questions for a reason. And the reason they ask these questions is because I am someone to them. I have a relationship with them. They are someone to me. 
And so to leave and then come back to them is okay. But to leave and not come back to them would change their lives. And so they want to know. And I'm going to phrase it in a way here because of our passage, in a way that's going to sound like a lot, but it's not really a lot. And it's this. What they're asking me with those three questions is, do they still have me? Or are they to be orphaned? We're in the middle of a discourse where Jesus is telling his disciples what's about to happen to him. And one of the things that he's explaining to them is he's saying, um, when you get up in the morning, I'm going to be gone. He's explaining how they should understand the events that are about to transpire. And the events that are about to transpire from their perspective, initially, will be a catastrophe. A catastrophe that they won't be able to begin to fathom. And the catastrophe will be this. Their Lord and Savior, who they've been with now for three years, will be crucified. And so Jesus is telling them this is coming. And he's making promises to them about what's coming. And he promises them that the Holy Spirit is coming. That he will be with them. And he's also telling them that in a little while, in a very short while in fact, he will no longer be with them in the way that they are accustomed to having him. In fact, he's going to leave them that very night. And they will wonder what to do. And so he tells them, I'm going to leave you. And then he tells them, as a parent would reassure a child, that I'm also going to come back. And while I'm away, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to actually give you my spirit. I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to send a comforter to be with you in your grief. I'm going to send a counselor to be with you in your confusion. I'm going to send a Holy Spirit to be with you in a dark time. And then I will come back for you. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through the text and unpack it. And then I want to conclude by talking about the legacy that Jesus promises his children. So it's not just that he won't leave us as orphans, but that he will actually give us something. And so let me read and then then kind of talk about it as I go. Um, He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. So Jesus will not leave us as orphans. Though he will depart from his disciples, he won't be leaving them alone. They will see him in a way that the world won't be able to see him. And they will see him through the eyes of faith. And they're going to need this encouragement because in order for him to come to them in this way, He has to leave them, and the way that he's going to leave them is by way of the cross. So he's going to die, and he's telling them that death, though, will not hold me. I will live. And he says, because I live, you will live too. 
So death will not be the end. He's telling his people, I'm about to die and death won't be the end of this story. And then he goes on to say this. He says, in that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. So here's this family language, right? He's bringing everybody together in this intimate union. And he's saying, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So in that day, that's the day Jesus is talking about, the day of his resurrection and also the day of our resurrection. He's saying that day is coming and all that we don't understand now will then be made plain. I love that he's telling them this knowing that they can't understand him yet. They just don't know what's about to happen, but he's telling them this. And he's saying, on that day, we will better understand not only the unity between Christ and the Father, but we will also understand what it means for our unity with him and his love for us. And he says, obedience will be what flows out of this. You will obey me because it'll be a response, you'll be your response of love to me. And that's what true Christian obedience is. It's not keeping the rules to keep God off our back. It's saying, Jesus, this is, you have loved me so perfectly and this is what you ask of me. And what you ask of me is to obey you. Of course I would want to obey you because every command that you give me is for my good because you love me. And what Jesus is saying is this kind of relationship is, is one where you will be so tied up in this love that there will be no clear divide between Christ's life and our life. And for those who are troubled in spirit, this is news of incredible reassurance and peace. Because what he's saying, if you're a Christian, the purity of the love that you will one day know between you and Christ and between you and others will be perfect. So that question I asked earlier, where are you lacking peace? That'll be over. And you will lack nothing. The text goes on. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and, he will come, and, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And so Judas, not Iscariot, is asking on behalf of the twelve, he's saying, well, what kind of a manifestation is this <clears throat> that only your followers will see, but the rest of the world won't see? And what Jesus is saying is it's a revelation of love that happens within a family. The things that happen within a family of love and devotion and affection are things that the rest of the world is not privy to, not directly. And he's saying, we will make our home with Christ. And Christ will make his home with us. And then he says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I love this. I love thinking about John writing this gospel 50 years after the fact, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's in his 80s now. 
And he's writing, he's in the act of remembering the ministry of Christ and the things that Christ said. And one of the things he's remembering is Jesus saying that the Holy Spirit will come to you and live in you and he will call to your mind the things you need to remember. And he's it's very meta, right? He's in the act of remembering this. And Jesus is saying that the, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete is the word here, which means helper. Uh, he will come and he will do a couple of things. He will remind you. He will instruct you. And thank the Lord for this because there's so much that Jesus taught his disciples that in the moment they just had no category for. They could not understand. So they needed somebody to instruct and illuminate. And then there were also so many things that happened over the three years as they followed him that they would struggle to remember it all and they would need somebody divine to remind them of these things. And so the Holy Spirit would bring it all to mind as they needed it. He would help instruct and remind. And so here in this, in this passage, in the upper room discourse here, John is talking, he's giving us the words of Jesus. And one of the things that's happening is Jesus is actually giving us a pretty good description of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the Christian. And he focuses really on three descriptors for the Holy Spirit that I want to unpack just very briefly. And these three descriptors are counselor, teacher, and holy. So counselor, the word counselor means comforter. Um, and actually what it literally means is one who comforts by way of strengthening. So Say you are a person who uh, is walking around in a knee brace and you get that knee brace off after six weeks and the job now is to, is to walk without the knee brace. Initially, you're going to lack strength and so you're going to lack confidence because you know that atrophy has happened and, and so you've got to exercise that. But over time, what will happen? As you walk and as you strengthen that knee again, you will grow in confidence. And, and so that's the idea here of the Holy Spirit as a comforter by way of strengthening. The, he, the Holy Spirit comes and comforts by way of strength. He strengthens us in the truth of who Jesus is. And so in, in John 16, which we'll get to later, he says the Holy Spirit, one of the things he does is he guides us into all truth. And in the act of guiding us into all truth, we are strengthened in that truth as we come to understand it and internalize it, which is another part of the Holy Spirit's role as our teacher. That's the next thing. He teaches us. He reminds us. He instructs us. So in 14, 26, 15, 26, and 27, and 16, 12 through 15, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as a teacher who teaches, reminds, and instructs. He is the spirit of truth. And what that means is he's teaching us the truth about who Christ is in all of Scripture and he is testifying to our hearts the truth about Christ in such a way that we are understanding and then learning how to walk in him, which leads to the third one, which is holy. So holy is not just his first name, right? He is the Holy Spirit, and what he does is he produces Christ-likeness in us. He leads us into victory over sin. He intercedes for us through prayer. And he shows us God's will and he enables us also to walk in God's will. This is the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And as he does this, fruit is born in our lives. Holy fruit. 
Fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, which we also know as the fruit of what? The Spirit. Which Spirit? The Holy Spirit. What does that mean the fruit is? It's holy fruit, right? And so this is what the Spirit is. He's our counselor who strengthens us with the truth. He's our teacher. He illuminates and shows us what the truth means and shows us how Christ is central in all of it. And then he produces this Christ-likeness in us, which is the fruit of the Spirit. He goes on to say in the passage, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Here Jesus promises that one of the distinguishing qualities of his presence in our lives and in the lives of his people will be peace. Shalom is the word. Shalom. Shalom means peace, holistic peace. It's the way... Hebrew people have been saying hello and goodbye for generations, shalom. And Jesus is specifying that the kind of peace that he's talking about is his. It's not a generic peace, but it's my peace, he says. It's God's perfect peace. It's a deeper, more lasting, and more perfect peace. It's the kind that banishes anxiety, fear, and the possibility of ever being left alone. Later, actually, in, in this sermon, or in this upper room discourse, he also promises his disciples, my love and my joy. Love, joy, peace. The first three fruits of the Spirit he's promising to his disciples here. And so we'll come back to that idea of his peace as a way of closing in just a second, but let me quickly conclude the rest of the passage. He says, you heard me say, I am going away and will come to you. So I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to come back. If you love me, you would rejoice over this. Because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So here again, we see Jesus care for his soon-to-be disoriented disciples. And he says, I'm not going to talk with you much longer in the way that you're accustomed to talking with me. And the reason I'm not going to is because the ruler of the air is coming. He's talking about the devil here. But what he's saying is he's saying, Satan thinks that he's about to overthrow Christ. He thinks that he's about to win. He's about to prevail. And Jesus says, but he won't. And the reason he won't is because he has no claim on me. Because Jesus is going to die, but death is the wage of what? It's the wage of sin. And Christ knows no sin. And that means that though he dies, death has no claim on him. It can't hold him. It doesn't have the authority to hold him. And so the enemy is actually going to lose and the reason he's going to lose is because of Christ's obedience to the Father. And in the end, he's, he's going to prevail over the grave. So what Jesus is about to do, he's telling him, understand that what's about to happen to me is not me falling into the devil's trap. But it is me carrying out the Father's will. And those are two very different things. 
Those are the difference between Jesus being a martyr and Jesus being a savior. And he says that I'm going to do the Father's will so that the world may know that I and the Father are one. And so, I ask the question again, where are you lacking peace today? And how does a passage like this one help us find peace? I want to conclude this message by getting kind of rather personal with you. And if we have not met before, uh, this is, well, welcome. (laughs) Buckle up. Um, I want to talk to you about my father. And, uh, and I'm going to ask you to receive some words from me that, that come from a pretty sacred and vulnerable place. Okay? My father grew up with a father and a mother. There was divorce in their home, so dad lived one place, mom lived another. But my father grew up an emotional orphan. Just the layers of chaos and brokenness in his home life from the time he was a child shaped the man that he became, shaped the father that I knew. And as a result of that, he and I struggled to connect emotionally. And then one day when I was in college and he would have been in his 40s, he broke. And the Lord brought him to a place where he saw his brokenness in a way that he never had before. And he saw some of the pain that it had caused others. And one of the things that he did in response to that is he sought to make amends with those that he had hurt. And so one day when I was in college, I got a phone call from my dad, during which he apologized to me for his emotional unavailability and for the ways that he failed me as a father when I was a child. And I remember it, like I remember the phone call, I remember where I was standing in my dorm room. I remember feeling really young on that phone call because on the one hand, I was like, this is a really important and heavy phone call, but I also was kind of aware that I lacked the maturity to process in the moment the gravity of what he was saying, even though I knew it was a big deal. But I remember it, and I remember listening to him search for words. It was a new way of him talking. I would like to tell you that after that conversation, 
my father became the emotionally available man that he wished he could have been when I was younger. But he did not. Because that's not a switch you can just throw. But something changed after that phone call. And what changed was this. He went from being a man who was emotionally unavailable and didn't know it to being a man who was emotionally unavailable and did know it. And that changed our relationship. Though in this life he always struggled to connect, he always struggled to allow himself to be known, to have and to maintain friendships, what changed was that he knew it and that he owned it. And that in and of itself was profoundly redemptive and healing. And the reason is because it brought something into our relationship that both of us had suppressed. And what it brought into our relationship was a mutual longing that was just too expensive before then. A longing for his soul and for my soul to be at peace with each other. The kind of peace that came to us was there and it carried through for the second half of our lives together. We loved each other better. I asked him to be the best man at my wedding. His confession introduced a hope for peace that wasn't there before. He was saying that he knew he was broken and he didn't want to be. And that admission caused us both to hope for peace and to believe that this would be our ultimate legacy as father and son. That both his heart and my heart would be healed. And the two of us would be at peace in ourselves and with each other. And when he, when he died a few years ago, his last words that he spoke were to me. And he told me he loved me. It's the last thing he said. I don't think that my father ever had peace in this life? Not really. He struggled to ever let anyone close. And even those who were closest to him, which I would have been one of those people, he kept at a self-protective distance. But I don't say this to you right now from a place of pain. I say it from a place of great comfort because the Lord found him when I was a child. 
And he trusted Jesus. And so, do you know what that means for him? Do you know what that means? Do you know what he has now in ways that I have yet to experience? Peace. He has peace. Why does he have peace? Because it's the legacy of every believer in Jesus Christ. That's why. Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. And then he says, I will send my spirit to be your comforter and your teacher in this life. And then he speaks of this legacy that will be ours, this inheritance. And he says, what I leave you is I leave you my peace. And it's not peace like the world gives, it's perfect peace. Because the peace that the world gives is laden with things like compromises and treaties and truces and missiles aimed at one another just in case. The peace he promises is his peace. It's perfect. It's rooted in his complete authority and his perfect love. Where there will be no need ever again to fear being hurt or abandoned. Brothers and sisters, may we never be academic about orphanhood and may we never be academic about father wounds. Jesus is talking to a group of people who are all about to be deeply rattled because he is about to be arrested and suffer unimaginable torture and pain. And he's telling them and us that the suffering that is about to happen is going to bear fruit in our lives. And the fruit that it's going to bear in our lives will be peace. Where are you lacking peace? What he's going to give us is peace, not like the world gives, not full of fragile truces and treaties built on distrust that will eventually fall. What Jesus is saying looks like this. He's saying in his incarnation, he's physically with us. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will never be absent from us. And our hearts will never know true peace unless the Holy Spirit is with us. It's as St. Augustine said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Mere hours before he entered into this suffering, Jesus told his disciples what I am telling you now. And it's this. You will not be left alone in your pain. That pain will not be your legacy. If your faith is in Christ, your inheritance is peace. And it's peace with God. It's peace with others. And we will taste it in this life. But in the life to come, it'll be all we know. And my dad knows it. And it's all he knows.
So Jesus looks you in the eye and he makes this promise. I will come for you. As sure as he has given us his Holy Spirit, he will come for us. Peace. Peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sweeping reach of your love for us. We confess that you say things to us in this life that we have that we lack the categories to understand. But that doesn't stop you from telling us and it doesn't stop you from promising us things that are true here and now and are going to be true in even fuller ways in the life to come. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you would help us to rest in you, um, that we would ask you the questions of where you are and when you're coming back and if we're on, on your mind. And uh, Lord, we thank you that in your word, what you're telling us is yes, you have made a place for us in your kingdom. And so Lord, even now, as we come to the communion table, you give us this communion table to tether us to that truth, that we would remember that you have purchased us, you have paid the wage of our sin through your life and your death and your resurrection, your victory over the grave, which could not hold you. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, strengthen us in our faith as you comfort us and as you counsel us and as you lead us in Christ-likeness. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.